Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Today we're going to be in Luke 5, 17 through 26. And one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you. God, that you have the power to heal. And so God, we come here not just as a social club, not just to watch something on a screen, to drink some coffee, to even have someone wave at us, God, but we came to meet the power of God. And Spirit, we know that you are here in this place. So I just ask right now that we would have open hearts and open minds to meet with you, to be changed by the living God. God, that we would not be content with just religious goods and services, but Jesus, that we would want to be with you, that we'd want to become like you and to do what you did. Those of us in the room, I just encourage you, let's just take a moment. We're just going to pause before we dive into God's message. Just feel your feet connected solidly to the ground. Perhaps you want to just put your hands out. Pay attention to your body right now in this moment. Is there some place you're carrying tension in your shoulders, in your back, in your gut? Is there some anxiety, some fear, some worry? And as you breathe in and as you breathe out, just give that over to Jesus. And if you feel so comfortable, you can repeat this ancient prayer. Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. A sinner. Jesus, Son of the living God, 
have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that you are here. And so now, God, we just pray as we open your living word, as we come into the presence of a holy living God who loves us so much, God, that we'd be changed by you. And God, I just pray for those in this room who are hurting, God, that you would heal mentally, physically, spiritually, socially. God, for those in this room who do not yet have a relationship with you, I pray that they would feel your spirit pulling them, working on their heart. That they that they would know they are loved dearly by you. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to them. You love each and every one of us. So we pray, God, that we'd believe that, that we would just open our hearts and minds to you. In your name we pray, amen. Why don't you take a seat? We're gonna dive into God's word here today. Uh, Thanks for being here, everyone. Uh, Last Sunday, I had the privilege of getting some free tickets to go to the Vikings game. How many of you have been out to U.S. Bank Stadium? Just not many of you. My son Josh, yeah, yeah. Who took you? That was was very nice of someone to... Got free tickets and took my son a couple weeks ago, but I got different tickets for my friend Trevor. I love Trevor. He's not yet a follower of Jesus, so you can be praying with me that Trevor does someday become a follower of Jesus. But he gave me uh, some tickets to the Vikings game, and uh, there's, uh, you can see Josh Olson here, and there I am hidden. Um, And we actually made it onto the TV camera, which was pretty cool. Um, Someone sent me that picture. They're like, hey, you made it onto TV. Um, If you don't know much about me, I grew up as a Vikings fan here in Minnesota. And then in 1998, Gary Anderson ripped my heart out. Anyone else? Wide right, right? And we all felt the pain and the suffering. And then in 2009, we were in the NFC Championship game. Brett Favre, the traitor, had come to Minnesota. And those dirty, dirty, dirty saints, sorry, anyone from New Orleans, kept diving at his feet. It was proven they were cheaters. And we lost that game as Brett Favre threw an interception across his body and it ripped my heart out. True confession, I did not watch a single football game the next year, 2010. I just could not bear it. My heart was broken. And so in 2011, actually my family moved to Wisconsin from Colorado. We were living out there for a number of years. And I became a fan of, for that season, the Wisconsin Badgers because we were living in Madison, Wisconsin. And so... They had this new quarterback named Russell Wilson. And I said, wherever that guy goes, that's my new team because the Vikings have ripped my heart out too many times. And so that's how I found myself as a Seattle Seahawks fan, as well as a Vikings fan. But the Seahawks really is where my heart is. So I went to this game. You can't really see it because the camera did a good job. But I'm actually wearing a Seahawks jersey and a Seahawks hat surrounded by Vikings. I was like, that's a really impressive camera work that somehow they got all the Vikings fans and not me as a Seahawks fan. 
But I, I, I joined up Mike Berg from our, our church family for some tailgating before the game and got to see all his friends and a little good nature ribbing there as I'm wearing my Seahawks jersey, everyone else is wearing Viking stuff. And then into the game, I had great seats for my friend Trevor again. But let me tell you, I was surrounded by something like 79,000 Vikings fans. And I'm in the middle of a crowd feeling very alone as a Seahawks fan. Uh, true story, I saw so many double birds given and so many F-bombs dropped. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, Josh Olson and I were like, I don't know if we want to do this again. This is pretty intense. But I felt alone, even in the crowded room, uh, as a Seahawks fan. And then especially leaving the game, oh boy. Um, it, that was fun, uh, doing the little walk of shame. As the Vikings won, well done, well done. Uh, it was a very fun game. But maybe like me, you've had that experience of looking around and being like, oh boy, like this could turn violent if the refs give this game over to the Seahawks. And uh, I'm wearing a Seahawks jersey. Uh, oh no. And I had a Seahawks t-shirt underneath that. So even if I took off my jersey, I still had the Seahawks. Like just, I didn't want to like have that temptation to be like, no, I'm not a Seahawks man. Um, but I felt alone in the middle of a crowded stadium. Have you ever felt alone in the midst of a crowd? Chances are, at some time in your life, you felt loneliness. And even if you haven't, even if you've never felt loneliness, you know someone who is right now most likely feeling alone. A social psychologist defined loneliness as the gap between the social connections you would like to have and those you feel you experience. It's that gap between, hey, this is the kind of connections and friendship I would like to have when I walk into church, when I walk into a family gathering, when I walk into work, and then what you actually feel that you experience. A national 2019 survey, survey led by health insurer Cigna found that 61% of Americans report feeling lonely. This was in 2019 before the pandemic, that 61% of Americans report feeling lonely. In 2017, former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy called loneliness a public health epidemic. And the health implications of loneliness have become clearer over time. According to the research of Julian Holt Lundstad, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University, says that the heightened risk of mortality from loneliness equals that of smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being an alcoholic and exceeds the health risks associated with obesity. That the health risk of feeling lonely is worth, worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, being alcoholic, or being obese. Apparently, it is worse to be lonely and skinny than fat with lots of friends. All this is before we experienced a global pandemic that rocked our world. And COVID-19, as we all know, it just accelerated what we are feeling. And now as a nation, we're experiencing a pandemic of loneliness to go along with the pandemic of COVID-19. A major adverse consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic is likely to be increased social isolation and loneliness. Tracking loneliness and intervening early are important priorities, says the Lancet Psychiatry Journal in April 2021. Harvard Magazine, in an article from February of this year, put it this way. Loneliness is not monolithic. When most people think of the feeling, they think of interpersonal loneliness, like, do I have a friend? Do I have someone I can tell my troubles to? But there's also existential loneliness. How do I fit into the universe? Does my life have any meaning, purpose, weight, balance, or mission? This is from Harvard Magazine. 
The third type of loneliness is societal loneliness. If I enter a room, is my arrival both anticipated and welcomed? Three kinds of loneliness, according to Harvard Magazine. The interpersonal loneliness. Do I have a close friend that I can share my thoughts, my feelings, uh, the, the good times and the bad times with? As well as an existential loneliness. What is my purpose here on earth? Even Harvard Magazine, a bastion for progressive, modern, secular thought is saying that this is an issue facing us. People are wondering, are we made for more or was I simply a glob of cells with no purpose in this world and then societal loneliness? When I walk into church, when I walk into a family gathering, when I walk into work, am I welcomed? Do people anticipate me? Are, are, are they happy to see me? And loneliness begets loneliness. If you're lonely, almost the last thing you want to do is reach out. But you have to make yourself. We're often better when we're accountable to other people. Kirsten Conan, professor of psychiatric epidemiology at Harvard School of Public Health and clinical psychologist at the Massachusetts General Hospital. She's saying we're better when we have someone to hold us accountable, when we're doing life with someone who's urging us to be the kind of person that we're created to be. People are typically embarrassed or ashamed about loneliness because they think it ties to some kind of inadequacy or deficiency on their part. Jeremy Noble, a lecturer at Harvard School of Public Health. And today, I want to talk to two groups of people. Number one, those who feel lonely and are searching for connection with the others. Maybe today, you've never really put a word on that, that you feel lonely, because you thought, well, I have that interpersonal connections. I have a friend or two or three. But maybe you're feeling that existential loneliness of why am I here on earth? Does it even matter? Perhaps you're feeling that societal loneliness. Perhaps you just feel like whether you show up here at church, whether you show up at work, whether you show up at your family, it doesn't really matter that no one's looking for you, that if you never came back, you wouldn't be missed. Perhaps you fall into one of those categories. You're feeling one of those kinds of loneliness. And second, I want to talk to those who are feeling pretty good. You're like, you know what? I know what my purpose in life is. I've got friends. When I walk into a room, I know people love me and, and, and accept me, and they're looking forward to me. I'm doing good. What I want you to ask is, do you realize how many lonely people are all around you? In our neighborhoods, in that Chipotle pickup line, at the grocery store, at work. Pre-pandemic, 61% of the people around us. I hope today that if this is where you're at, you're like, hey, life is great. I've got friends. I can give you a little wake-up call to just see the people around you who may be struggling in a way that you're not. Today, we're going to look at a story where Jesus tells a man that his life is going to change because of the friends that he's surrounded himself with. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. There's something interesting we're going to see in this story is that oftentimes what we want isn't the same as what we really need. That oftentimes what we want from our friends, from God, from our church, isn't the same as what we really need. And these friends, we're going to see, they're there for their buddy, even though he was in a rough place, and ultimately their friend got what he needed most. Well, this story appears in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so three of the four Gospels. So we know this must be an important story. Well, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus had been traveling around different cities and teaching about the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark chapter 1. He says the kingdom has come near to us, and now we can live in the reality 
of God's kingdom here, and he's performing miracles, and he's healing people, and that's where our story picks up. He's returned to his home base, a small town called Capernaum. And word has gotten out that Jesus is now back at his headquarters. Jesus, he was able to heal. Jesus, who sees those who don't see, seen. And today, Jesus is going to teach at someone's house. Now, this is like, we just started our community groups, and then we're going in our homes this week. But this is like Jesus showing up at someone's house in your community group. That's a good day, amen? When Jesus in the flesh shows up in your home. Well, there's a couple of guys who live near Capernaum, kind of home base of Jesus, and they heard that Jesus was able to heal the sick. And early in the chapter of Luke, we see there's this beautiful story of Jesus meeting this person with leprosy. It means they're a social outcast, meaning no one could touch them, otherwise they would be unclean. And Jesus reaches out and he touches this unclean person, someone who hadn't felt touched in who knows years and years. And instead of being infected by that uncleanness, Jesus infects him with his goodness and his holiness, and he heals that man. And it's like, whoa, this is amazing. So word is spreading now. Well, a couple of these guys, they live near Jesus, and, and they heard that Jesus can heal they have a close buddy, and he's paralyzed. And they figure, well, if Jesus can reach out and heal this untouchable person with leprosy, then maybe Jesus can do the same for their buddy. And we don't know if they're friends. Maybe he got injured, you know, in a construction accident with, with their buddies, or, and, and now he can't walk and he's paralyzed, or if he was born this way and he just grew up with them and he's a friend. But they're thinking, if we can get this guy to Jesus, he can get healed but it took them a little while to get their buddy on a stretcher and, and bring him to the house, the community group that Jesus was meeting in. He's a little late. Some of you guys struggle with lateness. You know who you are. And anyway, so these guys are like that too. We need to embrace Lombardi time. Amen. Uh, and so by the time they get there, though, the house is filled up with people. And Mark tells us there wasn't even room outside the door for people to crowd around. Luke 5, verse 17. It says, one of these days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there <clears throat> excuse me, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So maybe on first glance, you're like, okay, these religious leaders, they're coming to learn from Jesus from all around. That's a good thing, Eric, right? Well, the house is filled with people, and, and most of them are these Pharisees, teachers of the law. But these are the religious dudes who get their early discourse and free Wi-Fi. They open up their laptop, and they've actually come to criticize Jesus maybe on Twitter, on Facebook, to, to live blog, you know, what Jesus is teaching about. Because he tells us that these people were sitting there. If you wanted to cram as many people as possible into a house, how would you arrange them? Would they be sitting? Or would they be standing? Standing, yeah. You get a lot more people standing room only, right, than sitting down. So why are these religious people sitting? In this culture, it's kind of flipped from us. Um, uh, instead of the teacher standing while everyone else sits, in that culture, the teacher would sit while everyone else stood to listen. I kind of like that. Maybe we'll go back to that. Uh, you guys all stand the whole time for 30, 40, 65 minutes, however long I preach today. Uh, and then I get to sit. Because by standing in the presence of a religious leader, it shows that you're giving honor and respect, and you want to learn from that person. So these teachers are sitting there not giving honor to Jesus. They're not submitting to his authority as teacher. So we've got a room full of religious guys who refuse to make room for others to come in and get near Jesus. That never happens today, right? Religious people getting in the way of people meeting Jesus. <laughs> and the power of the Lord was on him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. 
But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Now, this scene, I think, must have been very funny because there's no way that Jesus didn't, you know, notice the commotion that these guys were, were, were trying to get uh, their buddy to Jesus. I can just picture, you know, there's like, excuse me, excuse me, they're trying to get into the door. They're pushing their way through their friends. Uh, let's call their buddy uh, Billy Bob. You know, he's starting to think he's never going to get to Jesus. He's paralyzed. He needs a touch from Jesus. But these are some good friends. These four country boys are not going to give up they can't get in through the doors or the windows, but one of them, let's call him Matt, has this crazy idea. Matt says, hey, let's climb up on the roof and see there's these tiles that we can dig our way through and then lower our buddy through the ceiling to get to Jesus. Now, this isn't like a uh, professional ambulance stretcher. This is some kind of makeshift homemade redneck pallet. And I'm guessing their sweaty hands must have slipped as they lowering their buddy. And uh, I'm sure if I was the guy in the stretcher, if I'm Billy Bob, I'm going to be starting to panic. I'm like, hey, just take me back home. This isn't worth it. Just go take me back to where I'm safer. But eventually they get up onto the roof, you know, and, and they're dancing on these hot tiles in the Middle Eastern sun, trying to drop their buddy. And then can you imagine just the scene as Jesus is teaching, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden this little drop of dirt falls on his head. And, you know, some of the Pharisees are on their laptops and, and they're typing and the dirt's falling. And it's like all of a sudden the ceiling opens up and dirt and tiles and things are, are falling down. And then all of you, you just see, you know, these four heads looking down at Jesus and they start lowering their buddy through the ceiling and he kind of falls down and they finally get him to Jesus. I mean, what a comical scene. And I just picture Jesus maybe, he just kind of stops teaching and perhaps he just bursts out laughing. Like he sees the comedy and it's like, Wow, this is amazing, like what these friends are willing to do to get their buddy to Jesus. And the first question I want to ask ourselves is, what are we willing to do to get our friends to Jesus? What are we willing to do to get your friends to Jesus? Let's go back there. <laughs> and when they saw, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Whose faith is Jesus talking about? The faith of the man on the stretcher? The faith of the Pharisees on their laptops trying to criticize Jesus? The faith of these friends who are willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. See, we've talked about this before, but your friends will help determine the direction of your life. What kind of friends do you have in your life? Do you have the kind of friends that if you're suffering, if you're sick, if you're hurting, will do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus? Do you have the kind of friends who encourage you to pray, to read your Bible, to continue on in fellowship, to live a generous lifestyle, to serve others, to take time for your family of silence and solitude, to run your business well? Do you have those kind of friends? Or are your friends the kinds that are leading you down a path that's not great? You tend to get in trouble. You don't like the person you, you are with when you're with those friends. You drink a little too much. You drop a few too many F-bombs. You criticize others. You're willing to cut corners on your business. But we see the faith of these friends directly impacted this man's life forever. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. 
Now again, perhaps you've read this story if you grew up in the church, you've heard this. But what did those friends go through all that work to do for their buddy? Did, did they bring him there so his sins would be forgiven? No, they brought him there so he'd be healed. And Jesus says, doesn't heal him, he says, your sins are forgiven. And I'm guessing everyone's either shocked or really disappointed by Jesus' response. On top of that, Jesus doesn't heal this guy. He has the nerve to tell him his sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Number one, the Pharisees are shocked. Getting your sins forgiven is complicated. It's expensive. You have to go through all these ceremony rules at the temple to have your sins forgiven. They're like, doesn't Jesus know this? Number two, Poor Billy Bob, who's just hanging there, who's paralyzed, he's disappointed in Jesus because he didn't come there to be forgiven. He came to be healed. I mean, being told that your sins are forgiven must seem like a ripoff to him after his four friends had assured him that Jesus would heal him. For the second time, he's feeling let down. Think about it. The four friends had to be severely disappointed as well. They wanted their buddy to get healed, but instead, as they let him down through the ceiling... Jesus lets them down by forgiving his sins, not healing him. And I'm sure the owner of the house is like, you guys are going to have to pay for that damage. So it's like, well, we hadn't asked Jesus to heal, but he forgave our sins. Like, what's going on here? And the crowd is disappointed. And the religious leaders are angry because he's claimed something that only God can claim. Here's one of those instances where Jesus does not give us the option to say, hey, he's just a good man. He's just a good teacher. He forgave that man's sins. That's something only a crazy person does. Someone who's absolutely wicked because he's pretending to be God. Or he really is who he said he is. He's the son of the living God. Came to forgive our sins. So first, we need to kind of take inventory of our friendships. Do we have the kind of friends around us who will do whatever it takes to bring us to Jesus? Second, we need to ask, what is your greatest need? See, Jesus often knows that Oftentimes our felt need is not our deepest need. Oftentimes our most pressing need is not our primary need. And oftentimes what we want the most is not what we need the most. Let's read on. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. Jesus is saying, guys, I'm not so out of touch with reality as to not know why this guy is here. I know why they lowered him through the roof. I know why he's here. I forgave his sins, and yet everyone is disappointed. But I know something you don't know, that his pressing need to be healed is not his primary need, that his felt need is not his deepest need. And what he wants the most is not what he needs the most. I have addressed his most deepest need, but no one appreciates this because you're blind to the true reality. I know because I'm this way. What do I want? I want health, a long, healthy life where everything in my body works right. We want some nice stuff, not too much nice stuff, like just tasteful minimalism, right? We want people to know us and love us and accept us. We want a long and happy marriage, good kids who succeed in life, health, prosperity, being known, a good marriage. These are my pressing needs, right? But you know what never shows up on our list? Forgiveness because it's not really a felt need. Jesus says your sins are forgiven and everyone is disappointing because that's not what they came for. But oftentimes Jesus knows our felt need is not our deepest need. Our most pressing need is not our primary need. That what we want the most is not what we need the most. Jesus says, 
But when you see like I see with kingdom eyes, you'll see that your primary need is forgiveness of your sins. That your sins can be forgiven. Your greatest need is forgiveness so you can connect with God here on earth and forever. And Jesus goes on to say, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, something only God can do. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus healed people physically so that people would know that he had the authority to heal people spiritually. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I think maybe Jesus was a little disappointed. The people celebrated the temporary, the healing without even acknowledging the eternal, the fact that this man's sins were forgiven. See, our most pressing need is not wealth or health or even great friendships or a great marriage. My deepest need is to answer the question, have I been forgiven? Am I in relationship with the God who created me? Do I believe that I'm loved and accepted and known by God? The third thing I want us to do this morning, we're going to take inventory of our friendships, ask what is your greatest need, and then to make space on your Lego piece. All right, you might be like, Eric, what does that mean? Some of you heard me talk about this before. One of my favorite analogies for how we're wired are Lego pieces. I love Legos. My kids love Legos. Anyone else love Legos? The great thing about Legos is interlocking brick building system that there's all different sizes. There are little four-piece connector blocks. There's little eight-piece, 16, 32-piece, and on and on and on. And I believe God has wired us all differently. We all have different size of Lego blocks. Some of you are little four pieces. You and three others, and you are good. There's nothing else that you can do. You're, you're friends, you've you're got all the community you need. Some of you are like an eight piece. You're like, ah, I need a couple couples or something. You know, a few people in my life, maybe me and like seven, eight others, and, and then I'm filled. Then there's people like me who went to college, and, and uh, freshman year of college was the greatest year of my life because my Lego block was like 64 pieces, and I went out with friends every night of the week, and it was amazing, and I loved it, and I still have a pretty large Lego piece. But here's the thing. For each and every one of us, whether you have a four-piece or a 64-piece like me, once your Lego piece is filled, it's filled. Here's what I want to challenge you on. Some of you, your Lego piece is filled up right now. You have no space for lost people who need to know the love of Jesus. You have no space in your life for that 61% of lonely people that are around us. You have no space to connect with the people in your church who are new to your church body because you continue to hang out with people who used to go to our church. Christians who aren't lost but also aren't a part of your faith community and aren't necessarily leading you towards discipleship or evangelism or walking in the way of Jesus. They're just good friends. There's nothing wrong with that. But may I submit for your consideration that you need to take a few people off your Lego piece so that you have some empty space, some margin for those neighbors who are lonely, maybe interpersonally, existentially, societally, someone who needs their sins forgiven at work, 
in your family, but your Lego piece is so full that you don't have the opportunity to put someone on that Lego piece. I'm being real here. As a pastor of this church, there's so many times I have to take people off my Lego piece, sometimes when they're not even looking. Just, hey, over here for a little while, okay? So that I have the opportunity to make space in my life to help coach my son's baseball team and get to know the coaches and then build a friendship and, and invite Coach Jesse to come to our church and introduce him into our faith community. That doesn't happen if my Lego connectors continue to be filled with people who aren't discipling me, who I'm not discipling, that we just have this connection with because we used to attend church together three years ago. Wendy, dear Wendy, spends an hour and a half each week on Thursday discipling one of our women who is a new follower of Jesus. She told me she had to take some people off her Lego piece to free up space in her life to disciple a new believer every single week. I'm getting your business a little bit. This is the truth, though. If we're filled up with people who aren't necessarily leading us towards greater discipleship or evangelism or people that we are pouring into in discipling or people that we are hoping to share the love and hope of Jesus, but we're just kind of Christian friends and they're not a part of your faith community, but maybe they used to be, may I ask you to reevaluate those friendships and those connections. You need space on your Lego piece. Invite them into this faith community. Here's the reality of our faith community is we've had 22 adults and kids who've become a part of our church because of personal friendships and relationships. 18 of them because of close friendships to me or Wendy. And then one other family. But people only come and get connected to a church really because of those close personal friendships. The way culture is now, we can do mailers, we can do social media ads, that's not gonna work. But if we believe that Jesus has the power to heal, if we believe that God forgives, if we believe that people are dying in their sins, at risk of an eternity apart from God. If we believe that people are so lost and lonely that they are considering ending their life, then why would we not make space so that we can love them? Not for some bait and switch to just then introduce them to Jesus or our church, but because they need love, amen? Church, we can't just keep playing if this is just a social club, then I'm out. I'm going somewhere else. But I believe in the power of the gospel to heal and save and redeem everyone. What are you willing to do to bring your friends or those who aren't yet your friends to Jesus? What are you willing to do? Would you bow your head with me? I just want to talk to those in the room who have been coming and for a little while and you haven't yet crossed that line to say, you know what, I'm ready to put my faith and trust in Jesus. 
that I believe the one who's able to heal physically can also heal me spiritually and he can forgive my sins and he can make me right with God. And perhaps you, feel, you just felt the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart. I just want to give you the opportunity right now. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth, if we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on the cross in our place for our sins and then he rose again, and if we choose, choose to follow him, to make him the leader of our life, then we can receive in re- exchange forgiveness and grace and adoption into God's family. And all you need to do to take that first step is simply to pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the whole conversation you need to have with him, but it's a start And in that moment, I believe that you can be forever changed. Your sins can be forgiven, like the man who was paralyzed. You can be healed spiritually and made new, regardless of what has happened to you. And so with every head bowed, eye closed, I'm just going to open my eyes. And if there's anyone in the room this morning you'd like to say, hey, I want to cross the line of faith. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I just want to encourage you in the count of three, just put your hand up just so I can pray for you, just so I can connect with you. One, two, three. Is there anyone here today who would like to take that step of faith to put your faith and trust in Jesus? For the rest of us, would you just consider my challenge this morning and ask yourself, what am I willing to do to bring my friends, to bring the lost and lonely people around me to Jesus? Do I believe that Jesus has the power to heal and redeem? And if so, what am I doing with my life to live that out? Let's just take a second and evaluate and ask Jesus what he wants to do in us. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. You've forgiven us. You've adopted us into your family. And God, I pray that you would just stretch each and every one of us, myself included, those who've been here for six years, those who've been here for six months. God, that we would have a renewed hunger to bless others, to love them, to point them to you, Jesus, to have spiritual conversations, to grow deeper in our faith. God, that you would stir us to pray. Pray for the lonely people around us. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for those who have lost loved ones due to this pandemic. Pray for those who are out of work. God, that we would not be content to just sit around as consumers, but God, that we would get in the game. God, that you would renew a fire and a hunger for you and for your kingdom, for the gospel that has power to heal. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Great. Hey, something a little weird today. We have our Domino's Pizza delivery man here. Come on up. Can you, do you mind coming on up? Give him a hand. He brought us pizzas today. I know. This is kind of weird. What's your name, sir? Mike? Joel. Joel. Totally different than Mike. 
Everyone give Joel a hand again for uh, uh, bringing our pizzas here today. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate you for being here. Strangest run I've ever been on. Str- I'm sure. I'm sure. I know. I know. I called your manager, Ed, and I was like, hey, uh, if, could you just send someone for the pizza delivery who's maybe had a little bit of a rough year who could just be blessed? Is that something you, is, how's the last year been for you? Or just kind of surviving, hanging? Hanging. You know, it's been tough for everyone, but, uh, you know, we're surviving. Yeah. Well, well, we wanted to bless you. This is our birthday, and we're kind of doing reverse birthday presents. And uh, so our church, uh, we are a small church. We don't have much resources, but we wanted to uh, bless you uh, just with an extra special tip. Um, here, you can kind of open that up. Uh, we're tipping him $1,000. <laughs> Give my hand. I don't like yeah. Can I pray for you? Would that be okay? Thank you. Uh, if you're comfortable, just stretch out your hand. God, I thank you for Joel. We're bringing pizza, because pizza is awesome. God, I don't know his whole story. We've all had a rough year. Lord, I pray that this this money would just bless him. And uh, God, that he would know he's loved. Not just for pizza, but for who he is. Loved by you, God, and loved by your followers. And just lead him and guide him. Thanks for letting him come on this strangest pizza run he's ever done. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Joel. appreciate it. Have a good day. You see it again? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks, everyone. Um, we believe it's better to give than to receive, amen? And uh, just felt like, man, we got to bless people around us. Joel, uh, just everyone. Uh, would you stand up for me? Uh, we're going to go out of here. We're going to celebrate outside with bounce houses, uh, with pizza, just having a good time. I want to encourage you, stick around, have fun. The Vikings are for sure going to beat the Browns, so don't even worry about it. You can watch it later if you need to. Um, or we might try to get the game going. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but again, in this time, just, just have some fun. Stick around. Make a new friend. I know many of you during this whole pandemic have said, I look around. I don't know a lot of people here. Yeah, that's everyone, especially with masks on. So outside, meet some new people. Like, we're all in the same boat. Like, instead of waiting for someone to come to you, go talk to them. Man, I want us to be one of the friendliest places people ever visit. Amen? Is that a good thing? Can you be warm? Can you be inviting? That starts with us instead of waiting for someone else to do it. If you're wearing your mask outside, here's a tip. Raise your eyebrows. Like, that helps people feel like, oh, wow, you, you want to see me here. You know, um, be extra expressive. You know, um, in, introduce yourself, yourself to someone. Even if you feel like you've been here a long time, be like, hey, my name is Rachel. What's your name? It's Ryan. Great. Now we know each other. You know, let's do that. Let's have fun. Today, what are you willing to do to bring your friends to Jesus? And your friends are going to help determine the direction of your life. May you know that God loves you, that Jesus has the power to heal anything in your life. And no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God loves you. Let's go out of here and celebrate. Have a great day. See you next Sunday.